maybe you have secrets, secrets that you need to communicate uh, just to just one person. Things that no one else needs to know about. Things you're, you should, honestly, you should be embarrassed about. Barbie Latza Nadeau is a journalist living in Rome, and she has a way to do this. To send secret messages. So, Barbie, this comes from the mafia, right? Well, in this particular case, uh, the, the, the uh, capo of Capi, the, really the big boss of the mafia, who's been in hiding for years and years and years now has been using what the, the police are calling sheep code. So sheep these minions code. would speak to each other uh, on the phone. They were being intercepted, at, just like the, you know, the provincial farmers of the area speak to each other. And they were able to decipher that he said things like, um, the sheep need shearing or the shears need sharpening. And when he wanted to, to, to tell the people that work for him, that do his dirty work, uh, that there were messages ready, he said, I've set some ricotta cheese aside for you. Will you come by to get it? Do you, is, do you know, like, a direct translation? Like, if I said the sheep needs shearing, what specifically would I be be asking for? References to the, sh- to the shearer, the, uh, the sheep and the, the shearing equipment, uh, we understand. It was a sort of a violent uh, side to it, which makes sense. And the, um, the reference to the ricotta cheese uh, was in reference to the presence of tiny little messages. You know, they, they're not sending emails, they're not, they're not uh, leaving any kind of trace. So what they do in Sicily, and this is something that the Cosa Nostra has done for, for decades, is they write, the, the, the boss writes a little message on a piece of white paper and then wraps it up in a piece of scotch tape. And it's tiny, it's about the size of a pellet or something like that. Hmm. And they put it then under rocks and in these certain places. And the police were able to, by hearing these messages over and over again, find where the, the rocks and the, the very in the hay bales and things like that, where these messages uh, were being left. And then as a result, they were able to, to get these 11 people. So, Barbie, was this uh, a formal code, or was it just like, the sheep need shearing, if you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, as we, I mean, it was a formal code in the sense that it's what they used over and over again. The same, you know, the same words, the same phrases, the same timing were being said by the same people. Of course, they're being also said by sheep you know, farmers all over Sicily at any given time as well. Um, so they had to be able to decipher. But they, all, you know, they had their eye on a number of people who they knew were close to to the big boss. We saw them in 1990s. So there was a, um, a big mafia boss, uh, Bernardo Provenzano, who was arrested very similarly. He was found in a farmhouse, and and his, he was caught on on a message about his clean shirts being delivered. So you know, they're using basically language that doesn't going to stick out. Uh, when they're wiretapping, when the police are wiretapping, they just want to blend in with what people talk about in Sicily, I guess. Now, I, a code like this could could get innocent people in trouble, like a you know a real dairy farmer saying, "Hey, my ricotta's ready. Come get it." Did did anybody? Yeah, no, of course it could, and I think a lot of people you know were under investigation without cause uh, before they arrested these eleven people. Initially, there were seventeen people on the list. You know, six people didn't didn't actually make the cut or were found found to be innocent, but they were also you know heard by the police saying similar things. They were obviously sheep farmers just talking about business. Well, so Barbie, maybe you can help us out then. Uh, can you tell us some some phrases so we could kind of adopt and maybe use the sheep code for our own purposes? 
Well, I think the most useful is, of course, you know, the ricotta is ready. I'll put it aside for you. I think you could you could make that into all sorts of different things. The sheep need shearing as, as well. I think one of the key phrases that was said over and over again. Another one that they that they use is the hay is ready, um, and presumably they you know they use these during during the appropriate seasons. You wouldn't want to say the hay is ready, sure. you know, in the winter when it couldn't possibly be ready. So they obviously adapted to the seasons and things like that. I wonder if you're if you are one of these guys though, and you are on a sheep farm, how do you get your guys to shear your sheep without accidentally killing someone? <laughs> I think that's a good question. Perhaps that was a tip off. Maybe there's a particular sheep farm with a sheep that were just really straggly and they, they realized, <laughs> you know, these sheep actually aren't being sheared and you know, you, you, despite the, the many orders to shear them. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to know. But it would be a great uh, plot to a movie, I'm sure. Well, Barbie, thank you so much. Thank you. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. And we are not the only show produced by National Public Radio. In fact, there are many hundreds of other shows. For example, the TED Radio Hour. The TED Radio Hour is an hour-long journey through fascinating ideas. Uh, There's astonishing inventions, fresh approaches. New ways to shear the sheep. The mysteries of mass collaboration. How people know the hay is ready. What does the pecorino from the milk cow look like? Guy Raz will tell you. Find the TED Radio Hour podcast at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. Most of those things we just said, uh, Guy Raz was just murdering people. The cow is out of the barn, Guy, and its teats are full of milk. I was just reading Child 44. It's a thriller. I recommend it. Actually, I gave it to Mike. He has yet to read it. It's still on my desk at work. But uh, there's a passage in it that jumped out at me. The main character has been wounded. He's out in the woods, and uh, he's with this woman. She sees a spider web on a tree. I will just read from here. Uh, She broke the web with her fingers, transferring it whole and laying it across the ripped flesh of Leo's upper arm. Immediately, the blood seemed to solidify. Upon touching the thin silver lines, she worked for several minutes searching for more webs. Uh, By the time she finished, the bleeding had stopped. Now, we were curious to see if you could actually do this, if you could actually staunch bleeding with a spider web. Fritz Volrath is the head of the Silk Group at Oxford University. He's kind of the, the guy you go to for spider web related questions. Fritz, is is this a real thing? Yeah, it's it's old peasant, I would say, technology. I think they're doing all, all over the world. I think American Indians would do it. Certainly farmers in Europe do it, and it works. And there are a number of reasons for that. One is that the threads uh, are very thin, and if you put them on there, obviously they form a fine mesh that encourages blood clotting because the you know thin threads like that just kind of gives the the blood something to latch onto is that correct uh, spider webs are clean because they've just been out there depending on what web you use it's it's probably fresh it's just been built and quite a number of webs have a sort of fungicidal bactericidal properties because fungal spore can land on it, and the fungus can grow on it because spider web is a protein. 
So it protects, the spider protects its proteins from being attacked by bacteria uh, and, and fungi by making them bactericidal a little bit. Wow. So it is actually the right thing to do, is <laughs> all I can say. Uh, and I've once seen, seen somebody doing in Mexico somewhere. I think he, he chopped himself a little bit with a machete, and, and, and he just went there and grabbed a handful of spider webs and slapped it on. Wait a minute. That's a deep cut, right, with a machete? That's quite a deep cut, yeah. And you can do that with, I mean, how many webs would it take to... Uh... Well, just as much as you can find. And yeah, you, you know, if, if, if you look around, there's quite a lot of webs around. And, uh, yeah, he just slapped it on. I mean, what else, as I said, what is the alternative? Yeah. The alternative, if you have a clean bandage, of course, perfect. You know, you wrap it around, it's all wonderful. If the alternative is, you know, a dirty shirt, it's, it's an experiment in that case. It's kind of astonishingly perfect for, for this application. You know, it, it clots, mm-hmm. it's antibacterial, mm-hmm. it's biodegradable. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's absolutely the right thing to do. Have you done this before? Have you ever used a spider web? Uh, I think I once did it way back in Panama. I think I had a cut somewhere, and, but I was working on the Nephilim, which is a you know the big golden orb spider. You have them in the southern United States. How how big are we talking and about? That, the web. The the, the spider. Web, let's put it this way: Well, the spider is the size without the legs of your pinky, so your little finger. Okay. Oh, that's okay. A, that's the body of the spider. Now, with the legs, it would be the size, it would basically span your hand. Uh-huh. Now, the web is about a meter across. Wow. And if you walk into it, you bounce back. Basically. <laughs> I mean, it's strong. You feel it. No, really? <laughs> now, that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, that one you really feel. I mean, you, you, in, in a way, you, you shrink back. You know, you, you could yeah. often walk through it, but you do feel it. Yeah. Now, that one... If you wrap it around your little finger, I mean a finger that you cut deep with a knife, wow. and where flesh is hanging loose, you could bandage that. Well, so so if we if we do this, if we if we're out there in the woods or wherever, and we yeah. we grab a web, aren't isn't there a danger that the spider is going to be mad because we've just basically just taken its yeah, home? You, you, sure, you sure off or her <laughs> mostly her because the males are quite small, so it'll be a female. They maybe no no. <laughs> you don't worry about that. <laughs> Especially not if you cut yourself, you, the blood is trickling down. And yeah. Sort of thinking, oh my God, I'm out here in the bush somewhere and it's not a good idea. I want to do something quickly about it. Well, Fritz, thank you so much. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, Ian. Can, can I ask you one thing not having to do with spiders? Yeah. Are you married to the person who invented Jenga? That's correct. That's amazing. <laughs> if you want to talk to her, I get her. She's just—I think she's just sitting in there chatting. Really? I think we'll say hi. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, uh, okay. Let me get Leslie. <laughs> uh, Les- Leslie. Hello. Hello, Leslie. Yes. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> so there are two people here. This is Mike, and that's Ian. Hi there. Hello. So we were—we were just speaking with your husband. We had. Come, we had found him because we had we have a podcast and we had a question about spider webs. But in our research right. of of his work, we uh, we discovered that he was married to the person who invented Jenga. <laughs> he's just he's just handed me the phone. 
me the other, over the phone with no explanation of who I was going to be speaking to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> I'm she. <laughs> well, we, I guess mostly we just found that amazing, and uh, I think we both wanted to say thank you because yeah. we love your invention. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> I hope you've had many lost hours playing the game. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Can we ask where the idea came from? Yes, sure. Um, it's a game that evolved within my family. Um, and we're talking back in the 70s oh. when I was uh, living in, in Ghana. But the, the, I mean, it was a game that we sort of played. And I, I mean, it took some years for me to sort of, for the penny to drop that it was, um, it wasn't what everybody did with a part of wooden bricks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> then I actually took the game to market in in 1983 when I was living in Oxford and, and figured out that every time I, I brought out my, my set of bricks to play with people, they, they got excited about it. And I suddenly thought, um, why not try and, 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 you know, turn this into a, a, a game and a commercial game? When you were first playing mm-hmm. in Ghana, what were you using mm-hmm. as the, the blocks? They were blocks. They were offcuts. You know, Ghana's a country that's full of. Um, it's 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 a, a timber producing com- country, and these were offcuts from a a sawmill. I had a much younger brother, and they were just blocks that he he used to play with. Um, you know, the kids building blocks. Yeah. And actually, they were a slightly different um, proportion to, to to Jenga, and but the the. The, what I wanted to re- keep in there was the, the fact, w- which was another thing that sort of <laughs> realized that if they were absolutely exactly the same size as each other, the, the blocks, the game doesn't work. So I had to sort of figure out a way of building in the randomness into the size of it. So, so each block in a game of Jenga is randomly slightly, slightly, slightly different to each other block. Oh, so they, um, that allows them to they, slide out exactly yeah wow. i mean if they're all exactly the same size and the same weight you know it doesn't function as a game that's so interesting i would have i i think i always assumed they were exactly the same but but there were just these these no, subtle differences they, it doesn't work it doesn't work if they're exactly the same so leslie you you created this game are you mm-hmm. are you really good at it um <laughs> i get beaten a lot <laughs> who's better you oh, or sorry, fritz we, we, Ah, me, of course. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> of course. Well, Leslie, yeah. thank you so much for talking to us about this, and thanks for Jenga. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> and, uh, I'll find out from Fritz in a minute who I'm actually talking okay. to. <laughs> uh, please thank him again for us, too. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, to you both. And you. Now's the part of the show when the ricotta is ready. Our sponsor this week is Stamps.com. Stamps.com helps businesses avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. With Stamps.com, you use your own computer and printer to print official U.S. postage for any letter or package, and then the mailman picks it up. Little human contact in your day. No more wasting time going to the post office or wasting money on expensive postage meters. Oh, those are the worst. Right now, listeners of this podcast can use the promo code EVERYTHING for a special offer, a no-risk trial, plus a digital scale 
and free postage. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in everything. That's stamps.com, enter everything. We got an email from Coco Coil. Coco says she listens to How to Do Everything while milking the goats and mucking out the barnyard. Coco Coil says, I fear your voices will forever remind me of poop, even when I leave. Coco, these next 15 seconds are for you. You remind me of something. I just can't think of what it is. The timing of this I find a little troubling, Coco. Are you telling us that you milk the goats? Or are you telling us you listen to how to do everything when you're murdering your enemies? I think what is happening here, I think Coco is sending us a message. It's time to muck the barn. Uh, and that your voice reminds her of poop. All right. That's not, that's just, I think that's not a code. The code is you've got a stinky poop voice. Now I get it. You've, you've been clear, Coco. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that if you're in a pinch, you can use a spider web instead of a Band-Aid. I, I don't know if we were still rolling at this point, but um, Fritz mentioned his website. And I, I, did, I did wonder if your whole thing is spider webs, if you ever call it your spider website. You could. I learned that, like snowflakes, all Jenga pieces are different. I had no idea it was that complex. Like, uh, from now on, you you are as special as a Jenga brick. At this point, I, I don't know if this counts as a correction, but I feel like we should mention we got a message from Amy, who was listening to an episode of How To from a couple years ago. Yeah, I think it was episode 90, where we talked about this robot called Puking Larry. It's a robot that vomits that they use to sort of test how diseases are spread through vomit. Uh, and it is officially named Puking Larry. And she said it should be named Spewy Lewis. And that then when it made news, it would be Spewy Lewis in the news. And Amy, you are correct. We apologize uh, for that oversight. Thank you, Amy. How to Do Everything was produced this week by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern is Amy, who helped us out with Spewy Lewis. Keep them coming, Amy. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte. Get your questions at sheepmilk.npr.org. And visit our website, How to Ricotta Everything, at npr.sheep. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.